Ladies and gentlemen, it's the penultimate episode of Wild Stallion and the Sexy Guy, otherwise known as Marvel's TV series, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Things are all heading to a head this week as Bucky Barnes and Sam Wilson decide what their futures are going to be here in the post-blip world. Someone who can tell me if I've summarised it correctly or incorrectly is my evergreen co-host. He's a man who spent the past week out on the sea fixing a boat, just like all heroic men do at some point in their lives. <laughs> it's Stuart Lace! Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Yes, uh, you don't you don't know if you're a hero in an action movie until you have a, a montage of you having fun with your sidekick. <laughs> But who's the hero and who's the sidekick? Indeed. Who's the hero, who's the sidekick? I guess we'll find out. So, yes, this episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, episode five, I'm just looking up the name because I realised that the episode, I... The episode name, Natalie, is Truth. Truth? Yeah. Okay. We're, we're now saying truth so much that it's losing meaning. <laughs> I have to be honest, upright with you, straight shooting, Stu, not beating around the bush, just mm-hmm. getting straight to the point not faffing about, not putting anything else in the way, just getting really straight to the point, just just line in the sand, Absolutely. dot the I's, cross the T's. I'm not going to beat around the bush anymore. But did I ever tell you? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think I found this episode a tad boring in parts. <laughs> well, I mean, look, it's Maybe. the table-setting episode. In a movie, this would be the end of the second act and, and into the third, I guess, or, or like it would be the start of the third act where the heroes regroup and take stock and, and you have yeah. a couple of montages, a training montage. Yeah, I mean, look, can we start with the training? I mean, this we, is on my sure. list. Falcon learns how to have a ca- montage. <laughs> Falcon learns how to be Captain America in one day. Of training? Well, I was going to say, how long, how much time do you think has passed there, right? Because, like, he's training up. He's doing a lot of flips and stuff. I like to think it was, like, one afternoon. That's what it felt like to me. It was like he went, I'm going to run around the house a few times, do some flips, keep working on catching that shield good, and now I'm ready to go. Because, I mean, he's already in pretty good shape. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, he, it's not like he's, he's you know, let himself go. He's in fighting form. So, like, I don't know what extra training needs to happen. It's like, and this will be a reference that I know going in is completely lost on you, Natalie, but it's like in the episodes of Dragon Ball Z, the cartoon, <laughs> where they would go and just for an entire week's worth of episodes, Goku and friends would go to, like, a special dimension where they would just train really hard and then they would come out and they would have more superpowers. Like, they, they would train so hard that their hair would change colour and they would come out with different powers than when they went in. Wait, so <laughs> they broadcast these episodes? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There would be episodes where the, the conflict of the episode was they needed to train harder. <laughs> Right, and they just trained so hard that they like leveled up, literally leveled up. <laughs> it's just like the writers going, "Oh, phew! We write all the episodes in one morning, guys, and then we've got the rest of the week off." It's oh, the oh don't get me wrong. Week. I'm sure that's what was going on. It was there was <laughs> hundreds of episodes of this thing. So I did not clock you for a Dragon Ball Z fan, Stu. What about me suggests that I wouldn't be a Dragon Ball Z fan, Natalie? I guess because I don't really know what <laughs> Dragon Ball Z is or was. <laughs> And therefore, um, I don't associate it with you, Stu, an Aeronite. I mean, you know the, the spiky-haired anime characters. Yes, there was a game you fought in, like you had, was it Pops, like you used to fight? Yeah, yeah, you know, probably. They're all based on games. All these cartoons are kind of, how do we... Well, they're based on, they're based on manga, I think. But like, yeah, like they're, well, they're, all, they're all from the same sort of area of pop culture, yes. Because there was Dragon Ball Z, I think I get confused with Pokemon a bit. <laughs> like, that's what's happening. They're both technically anime, so I mean... Yeah. Like, I, I get why that's happening, but yeah, like they're a little bit different in the sense that like Dragon Ball Z is basically superheroes. It's like very powerful fighting people who, like, as I say, just have to go and train and then they become more powerful. It's like ridiculous. And then they can do that big power up things and throw energy balls at each other. So why why were you into it, Stu? I was like, this is just a new dimension to our friendship. You know, I feel like I'm uncovering another layer at, you know, the lost city of Troy or something. It's just like another <laughs> archaeological dig site where I'm like, Stu, well, you're- like... You're, you're, you're asking why a, a man who was exactly the right age, i.e. about 13 years old when this was screening on TV. Really? Uh, you're asking. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was back in the 90s. Really? 
Really? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like Dragon Ball Z is more recent, but I must be confusing it with other manga anime. Yeah, obviously, I mean, like it's sort of the ur text of a lot of of a lot of this. Like it's definitely cartoons that have come since since then that definitely like are standing on its shoulders. Right. Can yeah. I ask a question? And this okay. might be a stupid question. Are there dragons in Dragon Ball Z? There are occasionally dragons. So I mean, this does actually fall within your purview, Natalie. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, having said that, there's a dragon in the Lord of the Rings, isn't there? And I missed that one. Or no, the Hobbit. You know the There, one, there, there is. There is famously a dragon in famously the Hobbit, yes. Dragon. Yeah. Cranky guy. Sits on gold. <laughs> Doesn't like Hobbits. That no. one. Or dwarves. I'm just looking up Dragon Ball Z here. It says it was aired in Japan from 1989 to 1996 before getting Ooh. subtitled or dubbed in territories including the US, Canada, Australia, etc., etc. Absolutely. Oh, but then there were extra series, Dragon Ball GT, 96. Yeah, it's, it's continued on since then. Dragon Ball but, Super, 2015 to 2018. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what's it about? You know what? I've just seen the wall of text that's on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> I'm clicking I was about off. To say, I, I could start, <laughs> but this will then become the podcast episode. So. <laughs> It's sort of like a soap opera in the sense that each episode has about five minutes worth of action stretched out to about 25 minutes. Um, <laughs> because, again, like they, they just really stretch these things out. And so you would get episodes that feature like lots and lots of fighting, but they are usually like almost incomprehensible if you haven't watched the previous 20 episodes of people standing around flexing at each other. <laughs> just doing like, oh, 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 I can't believe how powerful he is. Can I confess something to you? I never really got into a lot of anime. I that's that's fine. Lots of people don't. I think it was something about the style of animation. I found it really off-putting. Sure. It can be for a lot of people. It's very stylized and, it, and it's been almost thoroughly ruined by several galloping dickheads on the internet. It is a wonderful art form that is, unfortunately, the fandom of it is often made up of people who are deeply unpleasant to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> Not all of them, not even most of them, but but the the most vocal tend to be, you know, if there's a guy who's like recommending anime to you, like, I hope you know that guy, because otherwise, (laughs) I feel like it's definitely become way more sort of mainstream. And again, that's just a a fact of us growing up into adults and stuff being marketed towards us now. That's right. It's it's just something about the animated style where of, of the big eyes and the tiny lips and the, except I was a huge Astro Boy fan. As a kid, as a oh, little right. kid. Oh, right, yeah. Well, that, that's, that's like that's original like classic anime. Classic anime. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, my dad was Super reminding Boy. me. Uh, yeah, Astro Boy rules. My, uh, yeah, my dad reminded me just the other day how I would stand in front of the TV, like in my nappy, just with my hands ah. in the Astro Boy position. Like, yeah, and this is when you were 15. <laughs> but yeah, apart from Astro Boy, I could just never really, and I've seen a few, you know, kind of classic anime movies like Ghost in the Shell. I'm sure there was another one. <laughs> Did oh. you like Ghost in the Shell? Ghost in the Shell is considered a classic. Like yeah, it's, Ghost in the Shell was it's, great. It's a, it was one of the um, inspirations for The Matrix. So, it's yeah. A really, really good film. Uh, yeah. I remember being shown some sort of anime where, like, a young woman was, like, sexually molested by monsters or something or demons. Oh, I was about to say, I think is that's Ninja probably, Nin- probably Ninja Scroll. Yeah. Yeah. You went right to that, Stu. It's, it's I unfortunate. I, I know exactly the movie you're talking about because, yes, that is quite a prominent theme in that movie, unfortunately. I haven't seen that movie for years. I wonder if it holds up. But, <laughs> uh, like, uh, quite a famous one, obviously, is Akira, which is a, a very good uh, movie. It looked like groundbreaking animation and, and, again, like, sort of plays with the idea of superheroes and that sort of thing. But, yeah, animes, it has good things. It has bad things, uh, like any genre of stuff. Mm. Can I put a question to you, Stu? Yes. Is it- reflection of this episode of the falcon and the winter soldier being maybe slightly boring that we have a <laughs> long tangent about anime i was going to say well i, th- I think it, it could definitely be a, a an indication of how interesting you found the episode natalie and me as well to a certain extent because we were talking about this just before we started recording this episode has really like touched a, a nerve with people people seem to have really like been like yes this episode was incredible oh my god and like i like the episode fine but i feel like it was a bit of a table setter like it's it definitely pieces were moved into place i wouldn't put it as like the top episode of the series but like people are falling over themselves to praise this thing which is fine like it's it's a good episode but you know i i don't understand people who are like this is the best episode so far i'm like this this one did not have zemo dancing in it i can tell you how i know 
I can back up Stu's assertion that he felt this was a table setter. And I'll tell you what happened. I watched the episode Mm. and then I wanted to ask Stu a question. So I went to his Twitter account to look for his tweet because normally on a Friday night or a Saturday, (laughs) Stu will do a post-watch tweet. Did it for WandaVision, obviously, you know, during the Game of Thrones days, of course, but did it for WandaVision and he's been doing it for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. There's always Mm. a tweet. There's always a Stu tweet and that's how I know that Stu has watched the episode. Right. (laughs) And I went to look and there was no tweet. The crazy thing is I didn't even realise that I hadn't tweeted about this episode until (laughs) you pointed it out to me. You're like, oh, you didn't tweet. I'm like, oh, no, I didn't. I did eventually like retweet some people who were talking about the episode whose tweets I agreed with. Yes. But yeah. like It shows that you're like, look, I'm willing to retweet an opinion I agree with, but I don't have the mental capacity or the finger strength to actually (laughs) tap something out. I think it was also, you know, it, it was a busy week. It was like Friday night. I was like, I watched it and I pretty much immediately afterwards went to bed. So I think that could be more it. But, you know, it's definitely one where I was like, yeah, that was good. Like, it was good. All the pieces got moved into place, which we'll talk about. But, you know, it's like, yeah, it was fine. Like, it was really good. I, I sound like I, I didn't like the episode and I did. I liked it fine. Yeah, it was and There's fine. plenty to talk about. But, yes. you know, it's just sort of like, yeah, it was an episode. Like, stuff yeah. happened. So I'm going to go first with my list sure. because it's mostly silly. <laughs> first point. Is Zemo gone? Second point, has Zemo really gone? Third point, he'll be back next week, right? Fourth point, he's not really gone. Fifth point, I'll be really mad if he's gone. (laughs) Yeah, I I would be very disappointed if that's the last we've seen of Daniel Brühl because, uh, man. Look, I know they've got to keep him on ice, pun not intended, because they're going to want him as an option for future movies or whatever. So they couldn't just have the Wakandans kill him. And just go, right, that's it, justice. Or have Bucky kill him. So they needed to keep their options open. But it did have the effect of having a bit of a, oh, well, off he goes in a spaceship to Wakanda. Not, you know, not a spaceship, but like. Well, what really was strange to me was that he's not going to Wakanda. They're taking him to the raft, which is that underwater prison place, like, that everyone got taken to in the the Civil War. What? I've forgotten that. So remember, there's like a, a big prison in the middle of the ocean where everyone gets taken and it's called the raft. Oh, okay. So that's where they're taken. Is it Azkaban? Is it Azkaban? It sounds like It's kind of like Azkaban. It's kind of like MCU Azkaban. In Marvel Comics continuity, it's kind of like, it's like a supermax prison where they take superpowered criminals. But in like the MCU, it just seems to be like this ultramax prison that is unescapable unless you're Iron Man. That's where they're taking him. And I'm like, but why? Why are they taking him there? Didn't they come for him? What's going on? That wasn't explained. I, I just I just sort of clocked that. I'm like, that's really weird that they're taking him to the raft. But I know, like, you know, on a meta level why that's happening, because they want Zemo available to do stuff in the future. Yeah, well, you can't have someone dance that well and then just dispose of them. Exactly. It would be criminal. I think maybe that's what left me with the sense of, like, this episode being a bit of an anticlimax, because I was like, oh, Zemo's gone. Zemo's not going to be in it next week. <laughs> and not that it's not going to be great next week, because there's lots of good things, I think, to look forward to. Oh, yes. But I just realised that I've fallen deeply under the spell of Baron Zemo <laughs> in three episodes of a TV property. I'm just not willing to let that go straight away. So that's the power of the brule. It is. Dishy Daniel Brule. Uh, he did some good work. He did some good acting, some good close-up acting work. He certainly did. In this one. He was incredible in that scene between him and Bucky, like mm. Bucky's pointing the gun at him, and you kind of see you kind of see all the emotions sort of run across his face. Mm. But, like, he's not showy about it. It's all in the eyes. And, yeah. And, oh, it's so good. It's he's very, a beautifully very, very understated beautiful. actor. Yes. And then he can rip out the dance moves when needed. Yeah, absolutely. He can go big. <laughs> but I'm sure we can talk about more about Zemo as we go along. But the next thing I had was Bucky and Sam are on a boat. They're on a boat. <laughs> Everybody look at Sam because he's fixing up a boat. Yes, he is. That's like a 12-year-old Lonely Island reference right there. I that, am that on. Is a, that is a classic joke and I will, I will defend it to the death. <laughs> I wrote John Walker is Captain America. <laughs> not anymore, he's, he's like, not. No, 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 but he is because he was made by America. Mm. He was made to do their dirty business and now they're trying to turn their back on him. Well, like it or not, he's not the Captain America 
you need, but he's the Captain America you deserve, America. <laughs> uh, so he had a good one. He really, really did as well. I also then wrote, also Elaine is there. <laughs> yes. Now, do you want to talk about this now? Because I um, I had on my list, Selena Myers, I mean Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine shows up. Well, yeah, I forgot the name, so I just am going with Elaine. And then she said, you, you can call me Val or something, but don't. So I went, okay, I'm just going to call you Elaine. My final two items were how... Did Carly and the terrorist gang super soldiers get to New York? Yes, I didn't have this on my list, but how the hell did they get from Europe to America? I'm sorry. Like, did they hide? They probably hid on a boat or something. I don't know. Like, who knows how long Sam was training for, right? That's right. It was real quick. And then the last thing I wrote was Sam becomes Captain America in in one day of montage training. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Montage typically is you see someone being a bit crap, and he was – a bit crap at like catching it and you know he would miss it and miss the flip and that kind of stuff but there wasn't a sense of time passing because normally with montages you see people you know it was like Bucky left and then Mm. he was just training for a bit and then he opened his case and looked at the and that was the final scene was what's inside the case that Bucky got from the Wakandans for him what's in the Um, box what's in the box it just didn't seem to be paced in a way that gave the sense of some time passing, whether that's a week, a couple of days even. It really, as you say, seemed to just be, apart from a couple of shirt changes, which, look, I'm very (laughs) grateful for Anthony Mackie taking his shirt off and having shirt changes. I'm not going to complain about that. But it (laughs) it didn't seem to have, you know, your regular training montage, which has got a bit more sense of time passing or it was just, here's a really, really awesome, super fit, super talented, super precise superhero becoming just a little bit better, like even better. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He just he just needed to sharpen up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. It was it's weird because again, like he's not he's not starting from nothing. He was already the Falcon and he's not increasing his power level because he very pointedly is not taking the serum. So it's like I'm not sure what the training's for. Yeah. Like I guess he's learning to cat to work with the shield better, but then they also show him going for jogs. And yes. it's like, man, okay, like fair enough. Also, he seems to be anticipating a lot of flipping. Yeah. Um, a lot of parkour uh, in his Captain America, I think, is going to happen. And I do want to talk about, I didn't write it on my list, but I do, I think we definitely will talk about, it's probably on your list, Isaiah, and kind of the look at what does it mean to be Captain America as a, as a black man? And is it something that a black man should take on when it's a kind of a white ideal? Um, which I thought was yeah, the really yeah, interesting political overtone of this episode. But do you want to go through your list? And I'll just make a note that we discussed that so we sound at least a little bit intellectual <laughs> for some of the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, the first item on my list was, uh, spoilers, the box has Sam's Captain America outfit in. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's really a spoiler. I think everyone's probably clocked that at this point. But, <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's got his Captain America suit in it. You can look it up online. Like, I suspect it'll be very similar to the one he wears in the comics. Yeah. He's going to be Captain America. Guys, I, I don't know what to tell you. Um, <laughs> like, I hope you've been watching as closely as I have. And for those playing along at home, that was the question that I wanted to ask Stu and why I yes. checked his Twitter. I was like, <laughs> so there's a Captain America outfit in that box, yeah? It's like, yes, absolutely there is. Yes, it'll be a Vibranium Weave, Captain America outfit and wings. And well, that's the interesting thing, the wings thing. I would have thought he'd retire the Falcon, but you're saying he'll... Well, actually, no, it's a good point because in the in the comics he keeps the wings, but in this one he pointedly gives them to Torres, which could be a double reference because in the in the comic books, Torres becomes the new Falcon after Sam becomes Captain America. So right. as a quick aside, Stu, how is it... And I, I'm not meaning to, I mean, I'm sure all things are possible in superhero verse, but the concept of like different people becoming that superhero. So like the superhero identity, maybe it's because in the DC universe, that seems to be. The I, DC universe ha, uh, historically had a lot more legacy characters. Like there were multiple flashes and multiple green lanterns and, and things like that. Whereas in the Marvel comics up until very recently, people were who they were and they didn't tend to pass that on, but that's sort of been changing uh, in the last little bit. Um, well, that's what, because I think, you know, Superman is Clark Kent. Batman is Bruce Wayne. Wonder Woman is Gal Gadot. Uh, <laughs> Princess uh, That's the one. And I know that with, you know, that there's been multiple um, Robins or something in, the in you know, there's it been has, different yes, yes. Robins and probably different Catwomen. Or was that just the 1960s TV version? <laughs> 
Um, no, they had a, they, uh, the kid. Um, Selena Kyle tends to be Catwoman. There doesn't tend to be a lot of different Catwoman. Catwoman. This idea, like I know that in the new Thor movie that they're filming, Natalie Portman's going to be Thor. Um, and there's this whole yes. thing of having a female Thor. Well, which, again, was... happened in the comics. Like, like they, they're using the comics as a bit of a test bed to try out things. And then they're like, okay, that worked. Let's let's put that in a film. Yeah. But is it a case that she is Thor or she's just taken on, like, she carries the hammer, therefore has all the powers of Thor? Well, whosoever holds this hammer, if they be worthy, shall wield the power of Thor. Okay. So in this case, <laughs> <it's no hammer. laughs> Sorry, there was just a stunned silence on the other end of the line then. So Steve essentially was saying to Sam at the end of Endgame, you're the one who should take on my mantle. Like, you're the one who should replace me as Captain America. But why should Captain America be replaced? Why not? It's just like Sam sort of originally said was this was Steve Rogers. He was Captain America. I'm the Falcon and I'll go be really cool as the Falcon. And I guess then what you're going to say, Stu, is, ah, but this whole series has been interrogating the need for a Captain America and who can fill that and the identity of Captain America. And, okay, fine, you've convinced me. I retract my point. (laughs) (laughs) I was so good at arguing my point that I didn't even have to make it. Like, I appreciate this is this show is all about Sam working up to the internal and external factors on whether he should become Captain America. But I just am, I guess, maybe confused that superheroes, their persona doesn't just die with them when they die. There are a couple of things that I will say to that. In universe, like, you can definitely say that, like, you know, someone like Captain America especially, but other heroes as well, like, you know, it's important that someone continues to be that hero because they meant certain things to certain people and and that can, you know, they can continue to inspire other people to also be better and and to to fight injustice and tyranny uh, and all that sort of thing. Like, that's especially in DC, like, like we were saying, like, especially in DC, a lot of superhero identities, especially the Flash, but a couple of other ones too, like, tend to be, like, legacy like so they they tend to pass down not always within families but like oh you know, like certain, the phantom yeah like, like the phantom well yeah well exactly like the phantom but yeah like wally west was kid flash and then eventually became the flash himself and then his uh sidekick then eventually became flash also you know like like so it's one of those things where it's almost like you're getting trained up to be the next generation but do people then in the universe like plebs like you and me would we look and go oh it's captain america and you'd be like well, no, it's like Captain America, the third version, because the first one went back in time or something, and the second sure. one... Sure. I mean, they probably would, but they're like, yeah, but but this is currently Captain America. That's that's who Captain America is right now. But um, wouldn't you then be like, wouldn't it be like endless diehard movies by the time you get to number five? You're like, guys, it's really not got the same punch that it used to. <laughs> yes, it's always fun. We can say yippee I get it, but... John McClane's just supposed to be a cop out of out of his usual place in a different environment. Now he's a literal goddamn superhero. What are you doing, guys? <laughs> well, that's that's mission creep. That that's um. Oh, that, mission that's, creep. That's, that's that's movie creep. I think. Ah, that's a good term. You know all the good terms, Stu. <laughs> Well, but I was going to say, like, just in terms of, so, so obviously in universe, that that's that's the argument that can be made. The actual reason that these characters keep showing up in different guises is that the big publishing company that publishes the books wants to hang on to the IP. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there will always be Superman books on the shelves because that means that uh, Warner Brothers retains the rights to Superman. <laughs> Oh, as in, so it has to be out of print, I guess. Does it work on that kind of copyright? Like, if uh, it- Well, I, th- I think in a lot of cases to maintain their copyright, the reason Marvel has a character called Wonder Man, not character? a very good character, but... Yeah, um, Wonder Man, ladies. <laughs> exactly. Oh, Wonder Man. Oh, he, he, Wonder has, Man. he has a lot to do with Vision. I think he's like somehow Vision's brother or some weird thing. But anyway, way too deep a rabbit hole to go down. But but the, the reason that Marvel has a character called Wonder Man is because DC has a character called Wonder Woman and didn't think to copyright Wonder Man. I didn't even think of Wonder Woman. No, exactly. And they never thought to trademark Wonder Man. And so Marvel jumped in and was like, well, we'll have him. So stuff like that happens all the time. And there's all sorts of weird twists and turns because like a lot of these characters were like acquired by the big two, like Marvel or DC, through various other smaller publishers being sort of subsumed into theirs. So they could kind of buy their stable of characters. But there's these weird labyrinthine things where if they don't if they don't show up in print for a certain amount of time, the rights revert back to people and all that sort of thing. Right. So so the reason there's always going to be some version of Captain America out there is because Marvel wants there to be a Captain 
Captain America book on the shelves. Right. So they've got to have the Captain America, but what they do with the character inside the costume can be. Exactly. And they can they can take the opportunity to make a black man Captain America, you know, or we're going to see uh, Ms. Marvel series with Kamala Khan as Ms. Marvel. And for years and years, obviously, Carol Danvers was Ms. Marvel. And then she sort of graduated to full Captain Marvel. And then they created a Pakistani-American character, Kamala Khan, to be Ms. Marvel. And she's great. She, she's like been a breakout hit. And so I can't wait for her series. But yeah, like, like that that's the sort of thing that can happen. You can make your comics universe more diverse, you know, because as has been pointed out multiple times, like it's a lot of white guys called Chris. Uh, <laughs> so you can make your comics universe more diverse by, you know, injecting some diversity that way. Like, like use a, new, a known sort of superhero identity, but use a different character of color to sort of flesh things out a bit. Oh my goodness. I just saw that the woman who's running the Ms. Marvel TV show is Bisha K. Ali, who's a friend of uh, my friend, Deborah Francis White. She's been on her podcast. Oh, right, okay. a whole t- yeah, she's a stand-up, uh, well, a writer and a stand-up, but she's the showrunner of Ms. Marvel. That's yeah. crazy. I'm really looking forward to that show. I think it'll be really cool. Kamala Khan is a, a great character. She's like Spider-Man sort of thing. She's a she's a teenager who gets powers and has to, and she's got stretchy powers like Mr. Fantastic. Bisha K. Ali was a, yeah, young writers, stand-up comedy Goodness me, presented the podcast Guilty Feminist and Grown Up Land. Yeah, that's that's my friend Deb's podcasts. <laughs> <sighs> right, there's, there's six degrees. It's two. Yeah, I know, that's right. Goddamn two. Ah, uh, Deborah, get me a TV show. Sorry. <laughs> I want to be one of Deborah's friends who gets a TV show. <sighs> The next item on my list was uh, Wyatt Russell, MVP. I thought he was amazing in this episode. He was really good. Um, yeah. Just fantastic. I retweeted Christopher Bird, who I follow on Twitter, who's a very good, a very clever guy. And he sort of put it very succinctly, which I thought, well, that's exactly what I think. Uh, he said, one of the things I really like about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which, which overall I think is surprisingly ambitious, but clearly flawed, is that it's really nailing John Walker, making him terrifying and pitiable at the same time. Mm. And it is. It's absolutely nailing it. He is a almost despicable character. Like he's someone who does terrible things and clearly has a sense that it's his right to do them because he's done the work and he he deserves to be treated with respect, damn it. But he's also like deeply insecure and yeah. resentful at the things that he's being forced to do. And he you get the sense that he was basically ordered to be Captain America. And so he's like, okay, well, I'll be Captain America. That's what you guys want me to do, right? Why yes. are you angry at me? I, I'm being yes. Captain America, you know? Like, and he's sad. Yeah. He's yes. so internally sad. Well, as I think we've talked about last week, that he's, you know, probably got PTSD and now his best mate's been killed. He's responded in the only way he kind of thinks is right, which is get revenge, even though it wasn't against the right person. Yeah. I'm interested too, because he's he's telling Sam and Bucky when they confront him at the start of the episode that the, the guy killed Lamar and so that's why he killed him. And they're like, he didn't kill Lamar, John. You know, and I'm like, has he convinced himself that that's the guy who did it? Because I wasn't sure how much he was sort of like justifying it to other people and how much he's justifying it to himself. Yeah, or at least if it's a case of, uh, look, they're all the same. Because I get get the sense that that sort of was maybe a nod to Iraq and Afghanistan, where I think you did have cases. And if I'm speaking off the, the cuff, please forgive me, but the sense that I get is that sometimes you did have cases it was like, well, it's probably this guy. Oh, but it wasn't. Oh, well, at least it was someone, you know? It's like we got someone who kind of matched the description or who was responsible, and if it wasn't them, well, they were close enough. I think it's a nod. If if not specific to Iraq or Afghanistan, then that kind of thing sort of seems to happen in conflicts and wars. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, the character of John Walker is definitely a commentary on that. Like, he's every soldier who did their duty and and came home and was just utterly broken. Do you reckon that uh, Joe Biden has been watching this series and based on the actions of John Walker, decided to pull all American troops out of Afghanistan by the end of this year? <laughs> I mean, the timing is interesting. I, I mean, look, I, I hope not. I hope he's not maybe... <laughs> But that feels but that feels more Trumpian to base like your geopolitical decisions on a cool show you were watching. I don't know that Trump would watch superhero movies. That just does not sound like Trump. Well, it, it depicts people being selfless and uh, putting others before themselves. Yes, and having like morals. Yeah, having a code that they live by. That's right. That's right. And not doing things necessarily for cash. I don't understand. I mean, why aren't they charging for their services? Yeah. 
that uh, Falcon, he says that he doesn't get paid and he goes into enemy territory. I would get paid. I'm just saying. I would <laughs> make sure I would get paid. Move, you don't get paid. You go risk your life. You get paid. That's all I'm saying. A hundred thousand dollars. I don't know why my impression is suddenly becoming Cartman from South Park. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of timely references. I can't believe South Park's still going. I haven't watched it in goddamn years. Mm. I think it's probably over 10 years since I've seen South Park. I wouldn't even know where to go find it. I'm sure I could just look it up on the internet. but It's around somewhere. Some, some of the streaming services have it. I don't know. I haven't felt the need to watch it for a long time. No. It always had good jokes, though. Yeah, that no, was great. It was great in the beginning. I think there was a point where it's sort of like the Simpsons, like sort of just I don't understand the reason, the need for it anymore. But like other people, other people get joy out of it. So I still like The Simpsons. I get a kick that it's still going, even though I haven't watched it in ages. <laughs> but I think apparently, you don't it got, apparently it got good again. I got I got told that like the most recent couple of seasons, like it it really got good again. I've got a rotating series of writers, so I guess it just depends, you know, who you've got and that sort of well, thing. You've got you've got at least two generations of writers now removed from the original writing yeah. team that there would be people there who not only would they have grown up watching the simpsons but they probably grew up not watching the original few seasons they probably grew up watching like you know the the late 90s one you have more than two generations of writers now working on that show it's crazy yeah the next item on my list about this show that we're talking about uh, <laughs> is um uh i think i said it before uh selena myers i mean contessa valentina allegra de fontaine shows up Fontaine. Um, she's definitely channeling Selena Myers, I think, which oh, is yeah. obviously her character from Veep. Yeah, just just has that attitude. Did you know the trivia behind this cameo here, Nat? I do not know the trivia behind the cameo. Stu, lay right, it on so, me. So obviously, the the character itself is, is from the comics. Um, okay. So she's been around since the the sixties, I think. Actually, yeah, yeah. Um, she's been a long running thing in the comics, and she's one of those people who's sort of like you don't know whether she's a good guy or a bad guy. Mm-hmm. There is a suggestion that morally she, ambiguous. Indeed, indeed. Um, at one point, she was a scroll, so there, there's a possibility she might be a scroll. <laughs> Can I just, uh, sorry, sidebar. Yeah. The scrolls are the aliens, aren't they? From yes, they're the weird they're... shape changing aliens. Yes. Okay, so just to give everyone into an insight into Australian linguistic slang. In Australia, you might call someone, particularly a woman, you don't like a mole. Or if you're in the 80s, you might call them a scrubber. And (laughs) so the fact that you said a scroll, my mind just read that as like a 1980s schoolyard insult. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you shut up, you scroll. (laughs) That's just how my mind took that in. I was like, that's a bit mean, Stu. Oh, no, wait, the scrolls are the aliens, aren't they? Oh, yeah, 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 it just sounded like... (laughs) Oh, man, I wish there was like an alien race of scrubbers who would come down. Watch out, it's the scrubbers. (laughs) Scrubbers. I love the word scrubber. I, it's probably very insulting for me to say that. I don't know. But I don't know. There's something very earthy about it, you know? Yes, that's true. And I only wish we had the same amount of interesting slang for men. All we the, should do. We should do. All the good slang. And I, I mean this is like it's a, it's, a, it's a bad thing because obviously everyone just loves to insult women. So let's come up with lots of different terms for women we don't like. But at the same time, you know, we have a great now history that we can pull back on. If I want to call myself a scrubber, if I want to be scrubbing that, I own that word. And, you know, you men don't have anything. So in a way, I feel sorry for you. I feel sorry for you, men, that you weren't you able should. to. You should, you should feel sorry for men. <laughs> I've heard they're having a rough time, Stu. Yeah, we're, we're under attack, Natalie. Yeah, you're um, under attack. Constant attack. <laughs> can't even. What was, the late, what was the latest opinion column I saw in the paper today? You can't even. You can't even go out and hit on young girls anymore. That's what the, was, that was that? Literally, that was literally a, a, an opinion column in the paper today. Let's unpack this. Uh, no, no, no. We, we don't need to unpack it. Let, let's move swiftly <laughs> along. So anyway, back to back to uh, Elaine showing up yes. in, in this random episode of thing. So the character is going to have a life going forward in stage four, in phase four, I would say. Like she's going to be, and I strongly suspect, she's putting together a team of some sort of morally ambiguous superpowered individuals which in marvel comics there's a group called the thunderbolts which are basically very similar idea to the suicide squad um I was where about it's to say, like it a, sounds like the marvel suicide squad. it basically is yes like like but, there's I, I i forget who came first but there's definite crossover in the in the basic idea which is that it's a team of supervillains that get asked to do like dirty jobs basically the um, other thing i will say being called the thunderbolts 
also they could be like a down home country strip outfit, male strip outfit. <laughs> hey ladies, we're the oh, thunderbolts. True. Get ready to quack quack that whip. Quack that whip. Quack that we got our ducks. They got whips. Quack, You're quack. gonna quack that whip. That would have Absolutely. been a funnier impression if if I hadn't have stuffed up the, the crack and quack line. Um <laughs> Come on, Thunderbolts. It does sound a little... Okay, move on, move on. Yeah. Natalie's um, thinking so... too much about shirtless men again. <laughs> so so I suspect that's what's happening. So what, what will be happening, I, I think we'll probably see her pop up uh, again. We might see her in Loki. Uh, we might see her in Hawkeye. Like, who knows when, uh, you know, what's going to happen there. It's interesting that the reason this kind of comes out of nowhere is that apparently this character is going to be set up in the Black Widow movie, right? Which was initially meant to come out first this the black widow movie was going to kick off phase four and unfortunately obviously it's in the can but they pushed it back because they wanted to get a cinematic release and so this has now come out before it so we as the audience are supposed to be a little bit familiar with this character when she shows up we're supposed to go oh it's her which is why the show does almost nothing to establish who the hell she is like Mm. she says her name but we're like wait who is this? What's their deal? So, you know, that's who she is. Like, she's she, probably... She just seemed to me like, oh, she's like the Nick Fury of whatever... She's an evil Nick Fury, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, it seems to be what they're going for with her. Like, she's putting together a team of morally dubious, super-powered individuals. Well, you've uh, become very valuable to a lot of people. I did like the fact that her business card was just a black and white... Yes. ...piece of that's paper. Very good. I thought that was very cool. I now want to have business cards. I'm just like, this is my business card. There's nothing on it. Exactly. <laughs> Mic drop. What do you call it? The, 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 the boom flash thing. What do you call that when you flash bomb thing and you disappear? Boom. Shh. Yeah. Smoke bomb. Smoke bomb. Thank you. Oh, my brain. You, <laughs> you've got what I was meaning by the... I did. Well, I got, I got exactly what you were Thank meaning. Thank you. It's theatre of the mind, people. Indeed. <laughs> Just lost our attention spans. Nobody can imagine anything anymore. <laughs> Things to be spelled out for us in excruciating detail. So we're going to see Julia Louis-Dreyfus in the Black Widow movie. My understanding is that she will be in there and we will get more of a proper character introduction to her in that movie. It, it might only be at the end. She might she might take more of a Nick Fury role. I don't know how oh, she's right. like the main sort of thing, but, yeah. but definitely that was where she was supposed to show up for the first time. This was supposed to be like the second or third time she shows up and instead it's like out of nowhere. It's like, Elaine's here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's very, it's very strange. Isn't it weird how certain people show up and you're like, that doesn't work. I know I'm not buying that. Why are you here? It's oh, very really? strange. Well, a little bit. I mean, it, it, it did sort of take me out of it because I had heard uh, in the lead up to the episode that were like, oh, there's a big character cameo coming from a name actor. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder who that could be. Like, that could be all sorts of people, you know, like it could be like anyone. And then suddenly it's like Elaine playing the Contessa. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. Maybe over-egged that one a little bit. Like, I, I don't know. That's strange. Anyway. She's pretty cool, though. And She's, I mean, she's it's pretty great. Much, and I, yeah. She's known most of all as a comedic actor. So to put her in a role in super serious Marvel movies is a statement of some kind. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, she's a very good actress, and like her work on on Veep, she can play that sort of steely edge as well. We know, like while oh, still okay. being kind of funny. Not yeah, so seen anyway. Veep. Uh huh. Add it to the list. Add um, it to the list. <laughs> <laughs> so the. <laughs> The next item on my list, and you'll, you'll no doubt be able to talk about this as well, but um, this show is uh, almost a spiritual sequel to HBO's Watchmen. Yeah. I've been real, like, I obviously really got a strong vibe of that this week when Sam goes to visit uh, Isaiah. Mm. Um, mostly, obviously, because they're both dealing with the fact that there was a black superhero active in the past who no one knew about. Mm. I, I do wonder how much they were sort of building on Watchmen specifically, because like that they would have had access to it, like people would have seen it. I, I yeah. assume probably were keen not to sort of repeat the beats of that uh, show, which is I, th- I think it's examining the issue of race specifically. Watchmen is like streets ahead of, of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Falcon and Winter Soldier is just sort of, you know, it's part of it, but but it's also... Yes, Watchmen you know, is kind not, of centred on that. Yeah, it's not its whole concern, whereas Watchmen's whole thing was like, let's dig into this. Yeah. What's really interesting about it is that 
I'll I'll say what I'm thinking and then and then see if if you agree I I, and I don't mean this as a as a negative or a positive maybe just this is just my observation is that they seem to be kind of having their cake and eating it too oh yes As, as they often do in Marvel movies yeah because they're kind of having Isaiah there to say you are not Captain America Captain America has blue eyes and blonde hair. He's a white ideal, and that's what he wants. Mm. They're never going to make a a black man Captain America, and even if they did, no self-respecting black man should take it on. Yes. And I was really intrigued by that premise because you saw Anthony Mackie kind of sitting with that, you know, truth, and I guess that's the name of the episode, and sitting with the discomfort of that. But then also going, well, is it more than that? That's that's Isaiah's – that's how he – has come to it from a very obviously traumatic life, um, you know, where he was the only one where the serum worked and rather than kind of work with him on it, they just locked him up and did experiments on him to figure out what it was. Horrible. So that's how he's been shaped. Falcon has been shaped by being in the Air Force, becoming an Avenger, becoming Steve Rogers' right-hand man. Fighting aliens and saving the world from an alien invasion which i feel like does not get brought up enough for he- like for fighting Fal- literal aliens yeah. i don't know I, I just feel like that should come up more it would be all i would talk about if i did that that would be all i would talk about so yeah. remember that time i saved the world from an invading army of alien Alien. Conquerors? <laughs> It is the weird thing, isn't it, between the movies and the TV series yeah. where you've got like the movies is like, okay, well, we've got to defeat Thanos and all conquering galaxy. What do they call him? The ge- eater of galaxies or something? Doesn't he have a name? Death of Worlds? Oh, you're, you're, thinking, you're thinking of um, Galactus. Oh, am I? Oh, okay. I thought Thanos had a nickname <laughs> well, maybe, well. maybe you're not, but it's um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, and there's literally like the, the, the Chitari, those big snaky are they spaceships or actual creatures? I don't know. But they're big snaky <laughs> things that come out of the sky and there's all sorts of monsters. And then you have a conversation where it's like, yeah, no, it was really bad what the US government did to you. But also then the aliens were here. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, that's right. It jars sometimes when you put them together in your mind. But if, if you keep them separate and go, oh, this is the small scale personal yes, exactly. TV yeah. show versus the large scale, they're off in a movie you know, fighting aliens. So yeah, no, I do get That's it. That's what but... it is. Yeah, I, I, I do feel like there's times when what the show is saying is sort of undermined by Sam's own character history, which is like, you know, he's like, you know, like, oh, you know, you no self-respecting black man would want to be Captain America. He's like, I, I fought aliens. Like, I mean, so, I don't, I don't understand yeah. what. You know, it's... So, and this I'm is the not... thing. It's, it's about Sam reckoning with the past of Captain America yes, or the, exactly. the, the, the super serum and what it did. Also with his experience of being like, but I'm influenced by Steve Rogers, who was a yes. good man. And yes, he was a white man, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, good-looking, all that. Is that why they picked him for the first trial? Maybe. It becomes complicated because they pointedly didn't want him to be the first trial. It was like Erskine who stood up and said, no, 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 it has to be this guy because he's like yes. the good one. He's got a good temperament, but is that saying that they just didn't check out any black people because they didn't think any black people would have that temperament? Oh, Do you know what I mean? Sure. Um, that's going layers and layers into it. But, yes, you can say that he happens to be a really good person. Also, he's white, so that that's, you know, not going to hurt the situation. Whereas <laughs> it's, it's 1940, yeah, 1940, go, here's our Captain America. Might, you know, whether that played into it, that we, again, we're delving deeper into it. But, you know, Sam's personal relationship with Steve is one of he's my friend and he's in many ways, I guess, a mentor someone to look up to, someone to aspire to be like because Steve always let it set a good example and, you know, that kind of thing. So Sam, the connotation of the shield is one of a good one, one that he thinks... Exactly. He can... it's, a, it's a legacy he wants to live up to rather than something that he sees as oppressive or something as, like as that. As shameful whereas... and riddled yeah. with, riddled with, or saddled with, I should say, this this really dark history. Yeah, and... absolutely. And in, and in many ways that debate sort of captures both sides of the African-American experience. I say as a lily white man from we, Australia. Yeah, we um, absolutely, yeah. And we, we, we were upfront about that. We were always upfront yeah, about that. Totally. We don't know the ins and outs of deep American history. But to me, as an, as a, as an observer of this show, mm. it feels like Marvel were like, it's a good thing to reckon with, I mean, they've put this character in there. Uh, yes. And he's from the comics. Yeah. I think you've said that character, Isaiah, was from the comics. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But relatively recently, yeah, sort of in the early 2000s that they did his, uh, okay. they did like a limited run of that. Yeah, so that's something that they've gone, Kevin Feige has gone, yep, 
you know, Watchmen's been out, whether or not it was in the plan, I'm sure it was probably in the planning before Watchmen, but with Watchmen being there and and the general conversation in America about race, it's yeah. like this is a good time and the TV show is a good way of addressing the problematic history of a national symbol like Captain America. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and the semiotics involved in having a very good-looking white man be your saviour. Totally. And, and not, not, only, not only that, but also because, like, just in general, we forget what a risible figure Captain America was before Chris Evans came along and basically turned him into Marvel's Superman. Just made him, like, the coolest character ever, you know? Really? Well, yeah, I mean, kind of. Like, you know, like, in the comics, Cap's pretty cool, but it's like, in broader pop culture, Captain America was kind of a joke. He, he wasn't like Superman. It's such a specific thing. Like, Superman can be general. He can, he can be everyone's hero. The idea of a man dressing up in stars and stripes and calling himself Captain America was kind of silly. I think when know? I first heard about Captain America, I probably went, oh, that's a bit naff. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and, you know, he's a character from the 40s. Like, like he was created during World War II as, like, almost a propaganda thing. Not not quite, but, like, you know, and they, and they kind of play with that in the movie. But, like, just the fact that they were so smart about the way that they adapted it for the screen and Chris Evans is so incredible in the role, he just became the beating heart of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, that's right. And so I think that's the legacy that Marvel are trying to connect to, which is you can change a problematic history as opposed to, you know, I guess if, if you were to reduce it to a binary, you've got two options for things. Do you burn everything down and start afresh or do you take the institutions that are there and try to improve them and to get yeah. into them and to work and to solve. I guess what Marvel are kind of saying here is our version of Captain America, we acknowledge there's a problematic past with the use of black soldiers and and, and tying it with things like the Tunguski civil study and medical yeah. experimentation and those real-world things that happen, but saying that for an individual is making a choice that he wants to be, he wants to get into the institution and change it rather than reject it totally. No, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, like, that argument between changing things from the inside versus, like, smashing everything down is echoed in what's happening with Carly and the Flag Smashers compared to Sam's perspective as well. Yeah, because they're, they're a burn-it-all-down kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely, which they, they, they certainly moved to do in this episode. They moved very quickly. Well, you finished your list, or should we move on? Uh, to- pretty, pretty much. I just had I, I had two other notes. I, I just had we, We've talked about it, but Sam and Bucky bonding montage. Yes. Um, and then uh, my, the final item was um, Sharon is definitely, absolutely, 100% the power <laughs> I forgot about to the point where To the point where I'm not even sure if it's supposed to be a twist. Like, <laughs> it's so obvious. Who else is it going to be? It's obviously Sharon. <laughs> I can't wait for next week when they're like, she does like a mask off reveal. Like, aha, it was me all along. It's like, yes, we know. <laughs> I wonder because they literally just had one scene with her, didn't they, where she said something like, I can offer you double or same terms as last time or something. She sent Batrock to Carly. Oh, that's what it was. I was trying to remember that, guys. I forgot about his appearance, but, yes, you're right, the (laughs) Batrock. Sorry, I know it's – Batrock Zilepa. I know it's not bat rock, as in the animal bat and the thing a rock, but I just in my head picture it as like I'm bat rock, like Batman. But <laughs> imagine a little rock, but with a little a little hood. Oh, I see. I see what you do. I, I thought you meant uh, Batman in a rock band. Oh my god, that's even better. No, I I, I had imagined like a rock, but like imagine a pet You're rock. Bat rock. <laughs> I'm bat rock. Oh my god, <laughs> what's he gonna do to us? I'm gonna hurl myself at you. <laughs> But Bat-Rock, Batman in a rock band, I'm actually very on board with. If you're listening to this and you can draw, I would love, and I know Stu would love, if you would tweet us drawings of, like, either Bat-Rock as Batman in a rock band or a rock dressed up like a bat. (laughs) (laughs) Please, somebody do this for us. Either will be fine. I happily take either. But, yes, the, the power broker, they only had her in one scene for maybe 30 seconds or something, and I think it's because if they have too much of her, it just is becoming more and more obvious. Like, they have to just limit yeah. her involvement they, to one scene. They have to doll her out, yeah. But even that is enough to just make you like, oh, she's clearly it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well she's contacting other supervillains and telling them that, like, she's the only reason that he wasn't rotting in an Algerian prison. And it's like, well, why else would he be there if not 
you know but but it's interesting because like she wants carly or, or, or like the power broker wants carly so if she's sending batrock to team up with carly then what is batrock's actual motivation he kill says he wants falcon. to kill falcon and maybe he does but has he been sent to sort of undermine carly and take her out when the time is right mm. very interesting we got one episode left yes uh, and it will all come to a head because the flag smashers have taken over the grc yes well we had i do wonder was this filmed during lockdown well, it was, and I was I was going to talk about that a little bit earlier, but, but we can talk about it now. So the reason that a lot of this show feels a little bit disjointed sometimes is that, yeah, it was filmed during COVID, like a lot of it. I think they'd, they'd done a lot of filming before lockdowns happened, and then they had to take a break and then come back and film a lot of it later. Because I um, don't think I've ever seen such a giant, you know, the GRC heads of whatever. <laughs> Even the, the the days of the Bond era when you had Spectre in all its yes. glory, they didn't well, have a giant round war room that, that table setting. That felt very Bondian. It was so big, they had their own faces being broadcast up to a screen so you could tell who was talking because they were so the far away. they were in, yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> they were so far away from each other. But then um, all the screens started flickering. I'm like, oh boy, is she going to appear on the big monitor? Are we going to get some big monitor action? And gentlemen, like I... I I was hoping for some good old-fashioned super villainy. Yeah, <laughs> maybe next episode. Yeah, but it wouldn't. It would be Carly, wouldn't it? Is that who you were expecting, or you yeah, expect- yeah, I was expecting. I was expecting Carly to sort of come on oh. and be like, you know, gentlemen, it's time to tear your institution down. I'm like, ah, oh, well, it's just static. Yeah, no, it's just cutting the power so Carly can come from Central Park into yeah. the GRC because she got to Central Park really quickly. And Batroc had was it guns that he had? Yes, I think so. Yeah, he's got like bombs and guns and things. Well, that was very easy. <laughs> yes, it, is. it was. How did you feel about Bucky in this episode? Because I feel like Bucky, I mean, he had that nice moment with Zemo where he kind of almost killed him, but he clearly wasn't going to because he'd taken all the bullets out of the gun. He made a real meal of it. Uh, he was going to make that point. He was you know, like, like, no, I've, I've gotten over you. Is that what he was trying to say? I think so. And also and also, he kind of didn't have a choice because like, the Wakandans wanted to take Zemo, so he was going to let them take it. Yeah. But a question for you, Stu. They found Zemo at the Sokovian Memorial. Yes. Where is that? I don't know. <laughs> um, again, it's one of it's one of those ideas that works in abstract. And then you're like, but what? Who is it? Where Sokovia used to be? Or like, is it nearby? Like, where where are they? <laughs> it's it just, just outside of the town. Like it, he said that Sokovia got absorbed by countries around it. So does each of those countries have a memorial to <laughs> it's like here's the country that used to be here that we all took over yeah i don't, I don't think that's how people normally do that I don't, that's and not also, usually how that happens it wasn't a really big memorial either i mean not saying that size is everything but it it kind of looked very dinky <laughs> it's a um it's a country that no longer exists which do not usually get memorials it's very strange yeah it was a bit strange so the fact that bucky sort of knew where to go find him but i was like but where is it is it <laughs> yeah that's okay we'll leave it there (laughs) just don't think about it too much just let them have their moment and he he had a nice like he came down to help give sam something because sam was trying to fix his boat for like half the episode it was all about fixing the boat because the sister realized that she couldn't sell it and he called in some favors and then bucky was there to lift heavy things yes and then he floated with sam's sister for some reason. It was a fun bit of business. I, I, I think he, they were going for like a don't hit on my sister sort of vibe, but it just I, was like, it didn't quite land. Yeah, I get it. But it was, it just struck me as like slightly out of place because I never took Bucky as being a flirt. Yeah, he's not, he, he's pointedly not a ladies man. That's right. Um, so he's kind of not that character. So they're kind of forcing that that's, square peg into the round hole. I think that's what, I, that's how I felt. I was like, that doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I enjoyed the boat fixing as much as the next person who likes watching men hammer at stuff. Mm. And Sebastian Stan use his big chunky arm to peel off <laughs> strips of iron and stuff. I did like, I did like when he was fixing a pipe that was kind of blasting smoke out of it or steam out of it. And then he came in with a wrench and went, no, you've got to twist up. And he said, why didn't you use your big metal arm? And he said, oh, sometimes I don't think of it first because I'm right-handed. I'm right-handed. Yeah, that was quite a nice little detail. That I like that. such a sweet little line. I, I really enjoyed that. But I guess the purpose of fixing the boat 
is kind of a parallel to fixing Captain America. Like it's a bit broken, but if you kind of have good intentions, you can make it work. Natalie, yes, I, I suspect there may be some metaphor involved. Oh, I see. Did, I, did I just get something that was very obvious to everyone else? No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But, but just like, you know, I, I, I was just sort of joking at the, the subtlety of the story, just yeah. sort of being like, oh, they have to work together to fix a boat. Yeah. They also had a conversation with this because Bucky was flinging the shield around a while too. And Bucky was like... Well, they were almost it? playing catch with it. Yeah, and Bucky <laughs> caught it far more easily than... Why has not Bucky been Captain America? Well, Bucky was Captain America in the comics for a little bit. Oh, okay. We, oh, which okay. is why people were sort of up in the air about who was actually going to end up wielding the shield. And it's like, you don't do a show like this talking about the things it's talking about and then get to the end and give the shield to the white guy. <laughs> like, it's just not going to... It's just not going to happen. Sam's going to be Captain America, guys. Like, I'm sorry if anyone feels like I'm being dismissive, but it's like Sam Wilson will be Captain America by the end of this series. <laughs> That's interesting. So he'll become, so he'll be Cap and he won't be Falcon anymore? Like, he just won't be well, Falcon? I mean, he'll, be, he'll be Captain America and then potentially uh, Torres will be Falcon because in the comics, Torres becomes Falcon. Which I did is why, you know, a lot of people have sort of said that, like, him leaving the wings with Torres was, you know, him sort of him sort of leaving the Falcon identity behind. But it's also, like, a cool little nod that in, in the comics, Torres is Falcon and perhaps will be in the MCU as well. Who knows? I mean, it's pretty – he just happened to get assigned to him, like – it was pretty fortunate. Yeah, but they, they get on well. They, they they have a good rapport. I was like, I like you, dude. Hey, you can be my superhero yeah, replacement. You, you want to be my sidekick? I've known you for a good, what, month and a half now? You can be my sidekick. <laughs> I mean, look, I think I spotted a bit of subtle metaphor when Falcon had his wings clipped. Ha-ha. And then he was like, no, you can keep them. But also, I realise now that, because, of course, they killed off Red Wing, his weird child. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> Yes, so they were they, slowly they dismantling the Falcon identity, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. That's very well spotted, actually. I hadn't I hadn't clocked that. But yeah, no, you're right. Like, it's, this whole series has been sort of breaking down the Falcon persona so that Sam is ready and willing to sort of take on the mantle of Captain America. Yeah, I'm glad you followed me there, Stu. Yeah. I'm very profound. It's often you, been said. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes, is that everything? <laughs> Did we talk about everything? The fight was good. With, with oh, I think so. It was a good fight. It was kind of. It was. It was a good fight. It was a tense fight, and I didn't know how it was all. I mean, like I, I suspected they were all walking away from it, but and perhaps for that reason, it kind of lacked a bit of tension. But it was a good fight. But yeah, like it's kind of. It's kind of weird because like it's one of those things where well, I know all three of these people are walking away from this. <laughs> it's not, yes, that's right. Yeah, like, no one's dying or being injured seriously enough to take them out of commission. So you know, I guess it just all comes down well, to how interesting you can make it. It was well, cool, like how they sort of use their powers against each other and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and. Walker had his arm kind of torn out. I guess sort of broken, like he had broken. Was that the deal? Like he kind of yeah. Yeah, there was a very horrible kind of snapping, crunching sound, and then he had his arm in a sling uh, when he was facing the tribunal. Yeah. So do we think we'll see him next week? Well, I was just I was wondering that. I'm glad you brought that up because because there's a version of this show where he's done. Yeah. Because the the ultimately the the showdown is between Sam as Captain America and the Flag Smashers. I didn't think that up until he got that visit from Elaine, where it's like, oh, you should see me. I'm like, oh, man, they're setting him up for, like, other stuff down the road now. He's got his Nick Fury card. So it's almost you could not see him next episode and his story could have essentially be done. Yeah. So I, I'll be very inter- I'll be very interested to see if he shows up and, he, and plays a part in the in the finale. I will, too, because will he be in uniform? Will he have kept his Captain America uniform and kind of try and fight Sam as well. Like, well as I said, I'm yeah, Captain America. No, I'm Spartacus. In the comics, as I said, he he's usually most commonly he's called US Agent. Oh well yes, there was did you see the post credit sequence? Or the mid credit sequence? Oh God, have I missed one? Oh my god, I saw something she hasn't. No, hang on, hang on. What what one was this? What one was this? So there was a mid credit sequence of Walker making his own shield. Oh yes, no, sorry, I did see that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Damn, I thought I was onto something. No, definitely. I, I definitely saw that. But that could be for down the road. I We'll probably see him next week. I think so. I, I, I just... he's, made, he's made his own shield, but it can't be out of vibranium. And also, he learnt to weld. 
<laughs> well, sure, he's got he's got some time on his hands. Yeah, I mean, maybe in the army you learn lots of skills, but it just seemed very specific that he could craft a very perfect replica of the Captain America well, shield. I, I do like that welding is one of those things that movies and TV basically just assume that any guy can do. Yeah, <laughs> like it's just one of those skills that, like, you know, of course, of course, he's able to weld. Yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Come on, Stu. Of course you know how to weld. I worked in a hardware store for five years and I don't know how to weld. <laughs> I sold people welding equipment by pretending I knew how it worked. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, absolutely. But, um, you're not telling me you, you weren't didn't know your way around a welder. You're not telling me they hired me as a casual on minimum wage to sell people high-powered high power tools. Yeah, that's capitalism for you. Yep. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Burn it all down, Natalie. Burn it all down. Yeah. No, get into it and change it from the inside. No, no, no. <laughs> Burn it all down. Burn it down. Let's go back to waddle and daub huts, which is just <laughs> strings of sort of fibrous material wedged together with dung. And that's how we live, everyone. We're going back to walls made of mulch and dung. As long as I can still shitpost from there, I think it'll be fine. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's everything you do in there is shitposting. <laughs> well, you yeah. Well, dung, that's very true. <laughs> Instead of tweeting, you just break off a bit of your wall and throw it at your neighbour. And that's yeah. what's called shitposting Absolutely. Now in our neo-neolithic society. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, Carly, I, I still haven't super been convinced by her and the flag smashers. I don't know. I just, I guess I don't find them as captivating as, I mean, it's hard to compare it to anything in WandaVision, but if you were to compare them to Agatha... Uh, Harkness. I mean, even when you compare them to John Walker, like John Walker is an incredibly well-drawn uh, yes. character, whereas the Flag Smashers are supposed to be morally complex but are almost cartoonishly evil in the things that they do. But also um, really kind of young and dumb. Yeah, and I, like not in an interesting, like deliberate way, just like, yeah, these people are stupid. Like they, they want something that they don't understand what that means. Yeah, maybe it's because um, I'm real old now, but uh, <laughs> I just kind of want to go, just give me that detonator and go to your room. Well, I guess it's just that Carly is so clearly, like, way over the edge of supervillainy at this point. It's like, well, there's no nuance there now, like, which is fine if, if that's what you're going for. But yeah, it definitely seems like she's about to make, like, a, a monologue and then try and fight the superhero. For sure. Well, we shall see what happens next week. But I'm guessing fighty fight. Um, yes. But yes, Bucky will have to come back because Bucky, the, the, Sam had the chat to him about what he needs to do to kind of stop the nightmares. Sorry, that was the thing I meant to say with Bucky. Right, is yes. Bucky is still going to be this sort of lost, lonely ghost man because he says, I'm sure there's someone you can make it up to. And he's like, oh, there's probably dozens. And he's like, good, we'll start with one. And we all know who that's going to be. Yes, exactly. If, if there's, there's one that the show has explicitly <laughs> set up. <laughs> the Japanese man from episode one. Okay, great. He's going to tell him. I'm really sorry. I killed your son. Here's the backstory. Please don't hate me. I'm real sorry. And then he's going to go fight with Bucky with a renewed sense of hope and purpose. Yes. We should write a show, Stu. Why are we not writing <laughs> a show? I could write a montage for a hot guy to take his shirt off. In fact, I insist. I <laughs> yes. insist that every episode have a montage. You will insert that into episodes even where it's not appropriate. Because I have a dignity and standards. <laughs> That's it. You have an artistic vision. Natalie, but why during the funeral scene did the guy get his shirt off and do push-ups? It's integral to his character and to my artistic integrity. <laughs> <laughs> You've used the word integrity a suspicious amount of times because it's integral to my integrity. <laughs> Maybe that's why I'm not writing a show. Stu, final thoughts? Yeah, I thought this was a good episode. I thought there was a lot of pieces being moved into place. I thought it was good, but I'm sad at the possibility that Zemo is gone forever. Yeah, but, of all of all the people that we've talked about, I think we could easily not see him again. Yeah, and that makes me sad. Which would be sad. Because yeah. he is the best. He's Team so Zemo forever. Team Zemo! Stu, thank you so much for your time and your insights. If you agree with Stu or disagree with Stu or agree with me and disagree with me, you can find us on Twitter at Disco Stu and at Girl Clumsy. Please call in. Let us know what you think of the pod. Yeah. If you want to catch us on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash Natalie's Throne. And as always, a massive shout out to my dear, wonderful, supportive, amazing patrons at www.patreon.com slash girlclumsy. Uh, you can follow me on Patreon there. And it's very, very much appreciated in this strange, strange time in which we live. 
I should mention I've got a couple of shows coming up which you can, if you're in Brisbane, you can come and see, uh, which is great. I'm in one. I'm directing the other. You can go to my company site, actreact.com.au, to find all the information about The Great Grandiosa, in which I play a very obviously dodgy psychic. (laughs) Uh, It's more of an improv comedy show. And The Importance of Being Wasted, which is The Importance of Being Earnest by Oscar Wilde, cut down a fair bit, and where two actors each night will be performing while drunk. And apparently a lot of people are saying, oh, yeah, but you're not really going to be drunk. You're just going to be acting drunk. And it's like, no, 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 no. We're rehearsing the play as a proper performance of the importance of being earnest. And then we're going to get two actors to get trolleyed before the show. Not like blotto, not where they can't perform, but just, you know, tipsy. Just put them over the legal limit a bit and see what happens. It's a little bit of, you know, Zemo chaos that we're throwing into the mix. That You'll have to come and see that, Stu. I think you'll really like it. There are certain parts of the play that I'm like, oh, Stu will really dig this. Just thinking about <laughs> it. And bring Rose. I think she'd like it too. Sure. Um, and I don't say that lightly because she has high standards. Uh, she, she does. She's very. She's a very discerning theatre girl. She is a very discerning theatre, and I know that she is. She liked the Zemo coat. We know that. She was uh, a big fan of the Zemo coat. Yeah. Well, she'll be disappointed that Zemo's gone. Surely. Absolutely. Yeah. Devastated. So <laughs> yeah, actoract.com.au. Uh, sorry about the plug, but I realised that I should probably be plugging in as no, many this, ways as possible. This is the part of the podcast where we plug things. Where we plug things. Do you have anything to plug? No. <laughs> <laughs> You could say Natalie's shows. Go see well, them. Well, sure. You can go see Natalie's shows. They're <laughs> always a good time. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Raven On. I should have probably said the name of the podcast at the beginning. I realise now that I don't think I said that. <laughs> if only there was some way for you to go back, but there's no way to go there's back, Natalie. no way to go back now, Stu. It's done. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> it's already going to take me five hours to edit this thing. So... Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And how do we end this podcast? We don't really have a, a finisher. Well, we can just say burn it all down, Natalie. Burn, burn it all down. down. <laughs> burn, no, that's, that's a Game of Thrones, isn't it? Burn them all. Burn them all. Burn them all. It's, it's all connected. <laughs> See you next week. Bye.